0: Welcome to the Hey You Podcast, brought to you by Hayatun Education. I'm Matthew Hayatun, and today I'm talking with Dr. Joe Dilly, psychologist and author of The Game is Playing Your Kid, How to Unplug and Reconnect in the Digital Age. For every family overwhelmed by screen time, Dr. Dilly is here with some practical tips to help us all get the balance right. So let's get into the book. I, I really enjoyed my second reading. Oh, thank you. Thank you for for doing it. You know, it it was fun for so many reasons, but two in particular. One, of course, the pandemic and that whole lens. Wow, yeah. Obviously it was not there when you wrote it and it was so fun to read it when you published it and again now. Sure. Um, And so I have some questions that are gonna be related to that, some comments, and then also coming into it as a father of some digital users. Yes. you being both a colleague and also a fellow dad yeah. public kids. Uh, I think maybe our vantage could even be different for you as author now.
1: Oh, very much so. Yes. Well, when I wrote it, my daughter was just four and my son wasn't even born yet. A lot of the, the constructs, they hold up, but man, implementing them day after day and then with the (laughs) pandemic it was like minute after minute right this is a challenge for us societally and and really globally and what you said the term user yeah digital users that's what we want we want to make sure that the humans remain the users not the objects being used and i don't know if it's ever been so important in our history relatively short history as far as tech goes that we get on top of this.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely very much in focus. And I thought about even the title, you know, the game is playing your kid and I thought how true and also how it's playing all of us in, in terms of your family system model. Right. That we can all get played pretty easily. Did you find in your, in your practice and, and just with your colleagues and friends and family that some folks lost or, or frayed a little here in terms of their own commitment to best practices and sort of responsible use, digital citizenship, everything you talk about.
1: Ah, so for a lot of families, they became more aware of just how important screen time management is in the home. Some of us had no idea just how much um, a child or an adult for that matter, was really capable of using the screen throughout the day. And then for others, it became this time to go, what are you going to do? Like, I, I have to get work done. You have to get school done. And you've got just a quick window to take a break. And I'm not going to be able to patrol whether on that break, you used the screen or went and stretched and walked the dog. So for many families, it was just a necessity or a necessary evil, I guess, that some of the typical limits had to take a backseat to just day-to-day survival. What was Mike Tyson's quote? You can have any plan you want and that'll hold up until you get hit in the face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was definitely, for some, a knockout punch, right? COVID and others, one hit after another. I, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think hopefully a lot of parents gave themselves a little permission to be more patient with the process. And because so much conflict could come from screens that became so much more necessary for all users, um, I imagine the fishbowl got a little smaller, you use that yeah. metaphor a lot, and that the water maybe got a little gunkier.
1: Big time. It became less clear how to sanitize the water. So when, when we talk about the fishbowl metaphor that we are all you know in a transactional environment and what I say to you and the way that I say it, if you're my child, and then the way you respond to me, we are co-creating one another's reality and facilitating one another's response. And so when that fishbowl gets polluted outside of the pandemic, things are a little more straightforward about how to get it clean again. Mm-hmm. But amidst the pandemic, it was one fishbowl inside another, if you will, that was just cloudy, murky. And I say was, although we're still really in it. It's just that we're getting getting a little more adept at managing it. And things are also starting to return to normal to an extent.
0: I'm curious thinking about how these family systems are affected when so many activities,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether they be, um, extracurricular in nature, or passion-based seem to have, have, have seemed to have required the screen in mm-hmm. a different way to access right. them or to participate in them with others. What have you seen that do when you think about your family systems model and the necessity of the screen in a different way?
1: we've now seen this otherwise easily problematic tool of technology become so dependent on that now we have this really complex relationship with it. It's the old approach avoidance conflict right there in our homes and even in our palms and pockets 24 hours a day. So we're seeing a lot of this is anecdotal from a, an ophthalmologist who is seeing a lot more myopia in children because sitting even three feet of the screen for prolonged periods, that's impacting the eye and the development of the eye and then vision. And then melatonin is inhibited by blue light from the screen and doesn't it does not know the difference between good screen use and bad. And so that... That then increases our sleep onset latency or the time it takes us to fall asleep, which then results in less overall sleep time, assuming that we get up at the same time, which of course that's changed too, because a lot of kids are just rolling out of bed and throwing on a sweatshirt and then they're at school.
0: Right. There it is. Although I I
1: think with children returning to in-person instruction, I think that's going to be a little less of an
0: issue or a habit. Right. Although, have you found speaking of return to so-called new normal, oh, yeah. and getting back to school, right. you know, I've, I've noticed from some colleagues what some have coined the, the "whiplash effect," where mm-hmm. some kids were going, then perhaps there was a case or a, a concern over an exposure, they close again, or perhaps they went to the hybrid model. I was wondering if you found that some younger folks found themselves less inclined to return, even when given the opportunity. Yes.
1: I did see that and a couple of students who i thought for sure would prefer to go back said you know what i've got the option and i'm kind of in my routine here and i can see myself having to return to distance learning by no choice of my own and so yeah i'll just i'll just stay and write out the end of the school year here in my room but these were the same students who were really climbing the walls and appropriately so like we want to see kids getting bored and wanting to get outside and, and socialize in traditional ways because that indicates brain growth and the desire for agency and autonomy and creativity and interaction and all of that. So it, it was to my surprise when a couple of them elected to, you know, keep it virtual for school.
0: That is worrisome. Did you find that there were any with a particular neurocognitive or a specific profile, I guess I'm asking, um, for whom Zoom felt easier Perhaps it's because they're on the spectrum or perhaps um, have difficulty with social relationships.
1: Yes, a couple. And as you mentioned, there are some factors that create that reality, limited social skills. And then also depression and an enjoyment of watching YouTube after YouTube and playing game after game. Yeah, it's disconcerting to see
0: when some students are too comfortable in the nest. Yeah, absolutely. Did you find ever, though, that there's certain kids for whom if their a new passion or extracurricular drive happens to be more digital, how do you feel about them and how they might fit in to responsible use and balanced use?
1: So the question becomes, okay, what's the physical and physiological impact on the body and on development? What's the emotional and psychological impact when it comes to things like creativity? And then that way, the parent can help assess, oh, well, you know what? my kid is coding. He's making his own games. When I tell him it's time to come for dinner, he does. We checked with his pediatrician or optometrist. They said the eyes and the vision are looking good. I mean, that's a much different profile from even pre-pandemic kids who were literally soiling themselves so that they wouldn't have to get up from a game.
0: Absolutely. I think it's good to highlight that continuum. Right. There's gray in between and that you have some some metrics such as, does your child come down to dinner? Do you have to text them for that to happen? <laughs> right, right. That would be probably not the best indicator. Yeah. Or you have to ask repeatedly and sort of beg them to perhaps put down the device or for you to notice to put down your own first, maybe even.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Back to that idea of mutual influence of the relationship and the reality that we all find ourselves in. It's like, well, how pleasant are you making it to come to dinner? Like, do they come down and then you just grill them about their use or about how they haven't gotten outside or something? No, these might be important topics, but the delivery is so paramount that part of what your child is doing is being rewarded for continuing to play or watch the game or the screen. But the other thing they're doing is being essentially punished if they come down and the big reward is a lecture with green beans. Um, you know, no thanks. I'll keep playing and, and it makes sense. And then also, as you mentioned, well, wait, what if they come downstairs only to look across the table at mom and dad behind their own devices? Ah, we can do better than that.
0: Absolutely. I I remember thinking about when my daughter, who's my older one, got her first smartphone and how much time we spent dumbing down the smartphone mm-hmm. yeah, to have more controls yeah. on screen time, but still have her learn to make some mistakes and become a more responsible user and citizen. And I think we must've spent Joe about five to seven hours. um, Sure. That iPhone just to strip it of some of its bells and whistles. And I think if we hadn't done that, we would have gotten played pretty badly. You bet.
1: Always easier to ratchet up than down. One metaphor that I encourage parents to consider really carefully and Sounds like you guys just did a phenomenal job of front-loading the level of flexibility that the phone had, would be to consider it this way, that if your kid said, I want my birthday party to be held in my bedroom, in fact, I'll probably be in my bed for part of it, and I'm going to invite the entire world. And they're allowed in as long as they give me a like, or say they like me from a distance. I mean you couldn't hire enough bouncers you'd never go for it and yet that's exactly what we do if we go hey here's this device that can connect with the entire world that you're playing on in bed in a couple hours what
0: right it sounds so crazy when it's framed that way i Mm -hmm. i think too for a lot of parents to um especially with the the newer users Mm to make sure that they are um getting off and on it that they're using it safely Mm -hmm. that they're not taking big emotional hits Mm -hmm. i think however much time you extend to your kids when they're young Mm -hmm. that's as much time as you also have to think about devoting to reviewing the device Mm -hmm. if you have those concerns so in other words if you're going to give someone uh you know a social media channel let's say it's TikTok, well then you better be willing to check out those videos
1: perfect yeah that's a great way to think about it.
0: Right. In a perfect world. I think a lot of parents might think, well, my child is really responsible. She's mm-hmm. got wonderful grades. She seems to have good balance. She's got a good extracurricular life and pursuit. So I think we can take our, eye off the ball, mm-hmm. they might falsely conclude because on paper, mm-hmm. things look great. Do you think, do you find that, that that's not necessarily the case in terms of vigilance on a parental perspective with, with social media use and gaming?
1: Sure. Yeah. It's it's really easy to go, hey, everything looks ostensibly okay. Let's go ahead and assume a larger level of screen access and, and content and, and time even, and uh, with less monitoring. And then they come to unpleasantly be surprised by what they determine is going on in terms of time, content, and sometimes motive. Um, we want to look at, you know, is even the good student gaming or using social media as an escape from reality or just as a break? Because it's that escape from reality that can be more predictive of depression, whereas it's a break that would be kind of like what ideally we're doing
0: as adults too. Right. Absolutely, Joe. I was thinking too of some of the um, the push and pull between parent and child around usage and access and what can happen, good and bad. And, and so in particular, I'm thinking about the forbidden fruit metaphor of what happens mm-hmm. when it's delayed, controlled, limited. Yeah. Do you find some kids chafe with this and it doesn't work as well for it? Do you find that it works pretty much universally? Okay. So <laughs>
1: um, I chuckle because this is going to sound strange, but when, when kids really understand it, it absolutely works for them and thus universally because it's what all of us are doing all the time. Like, for example, oh, um, I really liked that pizza place and not that one. So I think I'll call the one that I didn't like. No, it's built in. We can do this if we understand the principles and if we help our children understand the principles. In fact, I had a student in the waiting room when the book first came out and he's flipping through the copy that's out there and then he's getting into it even more and then. He lifts it over his head and announces, Mom, you need to read this because it's fair.
0: Ah, and essential it, reading. <laughs> yes,
1: and it's, <laughs> and it's fair because it's um, reality. So there is no bank that says, you know what, you were late again on your payment. Let's go ahead and waive the, the fee, and let's go ahead and keep your credit score right where it is. Maybe um,
0: even in advance, too.
1: Well, yeah. In fact, right, I see where you're bank, going. Yes, and then there's also no bank that, when you, you know, fail to pay, calls and yells at you, or gives you the evil eye, or comes over and spanks you, or says now you're acting just like your father. Um, and so we want to be mindful not to be either of those banks that don't exist in reality anyway, because when we set it up the way that it is in reality. Kids not only respond really, really well to it, but then they're prepared for going and encountering those same sorts of paradigms throughout their life. But a lot of times when kids chafe at the idea of control, it's because they mistakenly think, oh, I'm giving the bank of mom and dad even more control, just like they've been wanting, and I'm going to end up, you know, ostracized from my peers and not able to play the games that I want to play, And when in fact if their parents hold the line, it's just the opposite. They will lose out on those things if they overspend. um, But they will actually gain them if they keep it in check.
0: Absolutely. I I tried a little experiment with my son with this in mind from your book. (laughs) He was doing some additional chores beyond his regular duties just to maybe earn something. And, um, he hit me up for the advance. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well, Joe. <laughs> okay. I said, Oh, so you you want this thing? I think in his case, it was um, some Robux or something. Yeah. Find that amount. And I said, You know, there's a few more chores in this list. You're not quite there yet, buddy. And he said, Yeah, but you know, I'll gladly right. pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Perfect. Which is the old- yep. Was that Wimpy from Popeye? I'm dating myself. I'm sure no one, whoever hears this will know who that is. I, I followed you. Yep. You might remember. But I, I did the experiment and I said, okay, I tell you what, um, which really set himself up, yeah. set him up for failure and me for potential resentment, but it was right. part of the experiment. right? So I said, okay, right. I'm going to let you go ahead and have that advance and you can wrap up these chores tomorrow. And they definitely didn't happen. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we both felt badly about that, of course. Right. Right, and so the reason I played with it was one to just as the social experiment to see if he would play by the rules, and he played well. He he, he was smart. He yes. did he took what I gave him yes. for free. Yes, and also, um, you know, I think it didn't necessarily feel as good. I'd like to. I pretend to at least believe or want to believe that it probably didn't feel as good to him because it was there was a dissonance between what we normally do. Right, and so what I said was, hey, you know, that didn't work out. Remember last time. So this time we're gonna go ahead and go back to our original social contract. And let's get more into the more or less reward strategy that you talk about and that you really help people through it. I I love that about your book, that there's so many go-to strategies. There's really a how-to thread to it. Yeah. Um, And there's enough room to play. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, do you think there are other extensions of this that we could think about? You mentioned the banks, which is funny. Particularly, if you think about like, the mortgage collapse and what <laughs> happened when the banks didn't play by the rules, right. that didn't go so well. Right. Right. In 089, we, we all saw what happened there, which is interesting. Yes. Do you think that um, there are some implications for, say, students and faculty and mm. that contract in school? Yeah. Or perhaps employer employee that, that um, wouldn't necessarily be as um, paternal or as um, parenting in nature, but still might have some play here?
1: You bet. Yes. And the reason that it didn't feel, when you guys tried it the other way, the reason that it didn't feel quite as satisfying and pleasant to you and your son was it was a disguised bribe. So when the reward precedes the target behavior, we're now being bribed instead of rewarded. And sometimes to go ahead and explode the focus to those adult scenarios like employer-employee, fortunately, some of this is already enacted or at at play. So if, if you're paid, for example, hourly and you choose or cannot go to work one day, you simply don't get paid. You're not necessarily going to be lectured or ridiculed. There's not necessarily a punishment. There's just a loss of financial reward. And hopefully you enjoy what you do as well. And so there's a loss of the enjoyment of that. On the flip side, The use of punishment when you get back to work is sometimes still too prevalent. So an employer who doesn't understand this concept will still effectively punish through perhaps verbal means the employee who comes back after a day off that they shouldn't have taken or something. When in fact the the cost was already enacted, it was already implemented, where the employee lost out on pay. And so that's it. And then if they keep it up, sure, then they can lose out on the job entirely. Punishment just does not hold up well as a behavioral strategy for human beings. Because as Freud said, we're programmed to avoid it and to seek pleasure instead. And so we just find ways of doing that. But if the pleasure is interfered with by our own doing, then we come up with new habits.
0: Why do you think that some kids seem so readily able to put down that tablet, mm-hmm. charge the phone in its dock, whatever it is. And others, it, you have to almost rip it from their gnarled fingers. <laughs> right. regardless of how much time they spend on it.
1: Right, right. This approach would suggest that the former child that you described has either predispositionally or through the plasticity of, of learning in the brain has a different neural network that's firing than the child who is clutching primitively onto that, that piece of prey that it secured from outside the cave. So the cave parent can't get that prey out of its gnarled fingers. What we're trying to do is elevate from that primitive brain development paradigm and go higher ordered with it and be able to abstract and go, I can do this. I have the might. I could take this tablet into my room and stay up all night right now. Of course, my parents have the charger And in the morning, this will not work anymore, and then I'll be without it until I've demonstrated that I can handle it. Well, that's the kind of relationship we want our kids to have with the screen. And I know listeners right now are going, well, that's just never going to happen. Okay, well, then pack it in, pack it up. You're finished. I guess your work is done and your kid is going to be highly dependent. This approach works because it's the same approach you had to use when you went to buy your first car or when you went to buy your house or get that job, you've got to put in the, the self-controlled effort in order for you to achieve the real ultimate reward that you seek. The superordinate goal, that second marshmallow or the total of two marshmallows later, we have to be able to do that kind of deductive process and stave off the automatic impulse. Otherwise, we're sunk.
0: Right, I I think um, a lot of times in talking with my kids about a consequence or some sort of delay gratification, if I can frame it as we're doing this because we love you, yep, because we care about you, because we want to see you have balance in your life, and I know this is hard, I, I do think it's important to frame that sometimes, Joe, because otherwise it might be misconstrued by them as arbitrary. Right, your rules just to mess with me because you can you're flexing parental control. So if they can't understand it, I think you're not necessarily set up for success either. We want some kids to fall down and go boom. Yep. Get back up themselves, dust themselves off and keep going. It's not meant to be error free or pain free. Right. Otherwise, what would be the point? They would have just done it themselves. So how do you sort of balance that with the sometimes dire consequences, Joe, that some kids incur, not just with mom or dad. right? but perhaps being a digital citizen in a school community.
1: Yes. First, with regard to how we set it up and the empathy and, and part of how we can do that is humor too. So we have a thing with our kids where if one of them starts getting, you know, an attitude or it almost starts to sound whiny, then my wife or I will jokingly go, well, okay, since you whined and then they'll crack up because it's like, oh, right. We would never say that. But that's implicitly what every parent is saying when they go, oh, fine, stop your yapping and here, just have this. We like to joke around if we notice it happening. Then they're able to comport themselves and go, all right, let me try again. And it becomes much more of a collegial discussion, ideally like they'll have in a study group at school, then with the college professor when they go in to ask about a grade or how to prepare for a test, where it's hey, look, I I have respect that, let's say with your fellow student, you and I might have different opinions on this, but we've got to come to a common ground in order for this project or study group to go well. And then so too, hey, look, you're the professor. I'm here to learn from you. I do have some questions of my own and I'd like to talk about this. Can we go there together? Okay. So that's one idea on marrying empathy with logic and holding a firm limit. Okay, now he's in there with a smartphone. And maybe he's demonstrated that he can be in there with a smartphone alone. And so she does kind of a scaffolding type of approach where she goes, okay, we've used high monitoring before. It's always looked really good, both in terms of the content that he's engaging with and the time that he spends with it. And then also with regard to his motive, he's not just engaged in escapist behavior. And so I'm going to let him have a little privacy with this and we'll do less of a quality check, shall we say, later on. But but let's say it's a teen and you know they're going in there to view porn or say they're going to threaten another student at school. You've got to put a stop to it. Well, then you're going to take different measures to make sure that that happens in the same way that safety has to trump privacy, even in psychotherapy. And so it's a judgment call for the parent. How risky is what the child is doing behind that door? And do I need to either now or in short order help prevent it?
0: Yeah, I was thinking about some of the students that we've had the honor of helping who made such a bad choice that they found themselves tossed from a school, whether it's suspension or full expulsion, Joe, uh, over these kinds of issues. And it seems that the schools have concluded, you're our citizen digitally, Mm 24-7. If you're at Joe Blow School, even when you are not on campus, it's after hours, it's a weekend, Mm -hmm. you are still a member of this community. and Therefore, you will answer to this community for your actions. They can't look the other way because it's there. Yeah. The person who made the bad choice has provided the evidence themselves. Right. In the form of something that's been recorded. Right. What are your thoughts about that? Because it doesn't change the outcome. Right. But it does seem to carry such a heavier consequence. Right.
1: This complex hybrid of factors means we've got to think really carefully about. What should, so to speak, be the moral imperative in those situations? And perhaps there isn't just one. It may be case by case. As far as how to teach it, I think it may come down to why it's happening, meaning why are the responses sometimes so severe? I think it's because when things live on in perpetuity, then the off-color thing that was said re-offends resoundingly. It wasn't just overheard by somebody at a backyard barbecue anymore. Now it's posted forever. And it's hard to put it to rest when it's right there in our faces. Um, And thus, how to teach it becomes exactly that way. It would be something like, you know, if we do this, that'll be a permanent impact. So we've got to make other choices. The stakes are too high not to. This is like... Do you want to be at this school? Because there's a good chance you won't be if you do something like
0: X, Y, or Z. Right. That's a good point, Joe. I, I think it is true for now that there is this other parent. You have this school parent now. Right. That, right. at least for now, seems to have a pretty big say in what happens. Yeah. When you decide to go a little rogue. Yeah. Yes. On social media.
1: Right. Right, we have to give kids an alternative, an outlet, a different way of self-expression. Because if my big alternative to posting this is that I just have to sit there and take whatever I'm upset about, or withdraw because you're not going to understand me anyway, well, then it's going to be sublimated out into something else. It, that's got to go somewhere, or it's gonna it's gonna sit on the kid, and that's where we see you know depression, anger, turned in turned inward to once again paraphrase Freud. And so we've got to help them know, now, you don't want to say that because that could very well get you kicked out of this school, but you've got a point. So-and-so did this to you. You feel wronged about that. Now, what are our viable options in order to tackle this matter? Really, again, becoming an advocate with the child and making sure that they know that they're heard and taken seriously and that their feelings are legitimate.
0: I like that a lot uh, I was thinking just something to, to wrap up with mm-hmm. um, you know we, we talked about how I read this book twice in two different worlds mm-hmm. both as a parent and in pandemic mm-hmm. and I was thinking of you as author Joe and if you were to create a new edition yeah, 2021 or, or that sort of extra chapter yeah, in light of so much what, what do you think you'd be addressing?
1: Yeah wonderful so I actually have some notes about a follow-up edition in the age of pandemic. And ironically, I would double down (laughs) because because, um, like we were talking about earlier, we have no other choice. We can't just go, well, the zoo's closed kid. Here's a fake zoo that you can develop a character for and play around with for six hours, just like we would have spent six hours walking around the zoo. No we're gonna have to get creative, aren't we? So let's go out to the trampoline, play on your pretend zoo for a while, make sure you're getting some vitamin D outside while you do it, or maybe we'll go visit a relative and you can do it while we're on our way in the car. But then also on the way home, we're gonna turn it off and we're gonna talk and we're gonna listen to music together and we're gonna see what there is to see together. David Spade is one of my favorite comedians and he makes this ironic joke that wait a minute no texting and driving what am i supposed to do just go around and look at stuff keep my eyes on the road well exactly yes we need kids to have alternatives because even when school is back in full bloom all the time there's still weekends and there will still be rainy weekends or back in the midwest where i'm from there will still be really snowy weekends or or snow days and and so forth do you want them on the screen all day of course not so we need to have alternatives and the pandemic has forced our hand in coming up with some of those
0: alternatives absolutely thank you for all you do and for what you do for our community and and for this time i really enjoyed chatting
1: you too matthew thank you so much
0: You can learn more about Joe's work and practice by visiting SynergyPsychological.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Hey You Podcast.